way with He was like, turn on your mic. I'm like, oh. So, um, but, um, so I have two goals today. And one is to be able to talk about those things. But uh, basically, um, my first goal is that understanding we can all be edified by one, the word of the Lord, right? That if we were in that situation, that if we were in some bunker, you know, in Hamas, in some church in the basement, um, what would be going through our head? What would be going through? How would we be edified? Um, and second of all is looking at First uh, Thessalonians 1. We'll get to that here in a minute. Of how about um, how Paul was encouraged by such a young, vibrant church. Um, so we'll take a look at those things. I have a couple of articles just to kind of, and these are not anything new. You guys have probably seen a lot of these things. If I were to ask you, where is the world's fastest church, fastest growing church, what would you say? Did you say? Did you say Iran? It is. Yeah. I was actually thinking like China. You know, it's like, oh, is it China? It's like, no, it's actually Iran. Um, and from what's going on in Iran, it's kind of bleeding off into Afghanistan of what's going on there. And I'm like, really? Yeah, that's, that's interesting. So that, that was a shock to me. I'm picking up in the middle. Um, this is from the uh, International Christian Concern about uh, persecution around the world. For the past 44 years, there's been a wave of persecution against Iranians who decide to become Christians. To own a Bible in the national language of Farsi is prohibited. Sharing the Christian faith with others is outlawed. Christian leaders have been arrested, interrogated, and imprisoned in the nation's notorious Evan prison. Iran's regime has even sentenced to death under charges of apostasy um, as spies threatening is Islamic system. The Iranian government refuses to acknowledge Iranian converts to Christianity and denies them all religious freedom. With such an environment, it would be surprising to hear that in the past decade, Iran has been one of the fastest growing churches in the world. Some estimates point to a million or more Iranian converts to Christianity. Let that sink in. Neighboring Afghanistan rivals Iran as the fastest growing church influenced by Iranian Christians whose similar language and cultural connections have built bridges for the spread of the gospel. God used the Armenian, Chaldean, Assyrian churches as a source of light, especially in the early years after the revolution. The Iranians who became disillusioned with the Islamic Republic and were searching for answers. Through these communities, numbers inside the country have dwindled to only about 100,000. The numbers of new Iranian converts has surpassed it as much as 10 times that number. Yeah. So that, and honestly, that was a shock to me. I was like, you're, you're kidding. Yeah, that's a lot going on there. Um, so my first question to you of what I asked and opened up in the beginning, are there people, I lost my pen already. Here it is. Are there people out there that you know of that we can be praying for? Are there missionaries? Are there things? I know we have a couple, and I'll share those. So if there, there isn't, I don't want to put anybody on the spot. But is there anyone that we should be praying for? I'm going to open that up to you. That's fine. So um, I did think about your cousins, um, uh, Jeremiah and Julie. I know they're back in the United States now. Um, Jeremiah and Julie work with uh, Wycliffe Bible Translators. They have people all over the globe, so I certainly thought of them. Um, Jeremiah in particular works with JARS, 
jungle aviation and it used to be a radio service. Now it's relay service or something now. But using aircraft to be able to get to some very remote locations. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Chinso and Manny. Mandy. Sorry. Any others? Yeah. Oh, wow, nice. That's two people, Sam, or that's Zadah, that's one. Jade. That's a great connection. I mean, at any way that you, I mean, that you're you're able to meet with them and have them over, and that's exactly exactly what you'd be doing. Yeah, yeah. And go with that. I agree. That's great. Any others? So we definitely had one. Um, our friends Clark and Elena. Um, I always put the the prayer letters out on the table and it kind of gets passed around and Clark and Elaine are in the Middle East and um, definitely when everything happened we don't even know where they are because they're in the Middle East and because of their circumstances they can't share where they are because if it gets back you know governments can find them and customs can throw you out and cancel your visa and there's all sorts of restrictions so they just thought it was safer so since we don't even know where they are and all this stuff was happening, we're like, oh, no, what's happening? Now, uh, Elena's uh, father um, 
Nick and I went to college together. And Nick is with Bridges International. It's a ministry to international students, basically at Ohio State and over at Denison. So he's the director of that. So he reaches out and, and uh, does all sorts of stuff with international students there. Um, so when we didn't know where Clark and Elena were, we got concerned. And then just this last week, we got an email from Elena saying that they were safe and that they were fine. And um, they're nowhere near the bombing. And I was like, nowhere near the bombing? I was like, well, so... At least it's in proximity, but but not anywhere close. So, uh, so that was good to hear that they were safe and going on from there. Um, so, yeah, let's just take a moment to pray, and we'll open up our time here and uh, just open that up. So, Lord Jesus, we just uh, thank you again for the time that we had to be able to come and dig into your word, look at some different things. Father, we definitely want to pray for uh, Chimo and Mandy. We want to play, pray for uh, Sam, Zadah, and Jade. We just pray for the connections um, that uh, our church and people have been reaching out and praying for them, um, what's going on in their lives. Father, that, uh, that they would constantly on, be on one step closer to you. Father, that they would, whatever their circumstances are, um, either through members of this church body or other people, that uh, seeds would be planted in their life to bring them closer and closer to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, we definitely pray for uh, Clark and Elena. We pray for their um, ministry. We pray for their friends, sometimes who have been in danger, and, and uh, one was even kicked out um, and his visa canceled for sharing his faith. Um, Father, it's just, it's, it can be dangerous, it can be scary, but uh, Father, we know that uh, you are using them and that you love them. So, Father, we just want to open our time here and uh, just as we dig into your word, uh, we just thank you again for who you are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this is definitely a continuation. This isn't anything that I sat there and was like, boy, we should really be doing this in our church. No, we've already been doing this in your, our church, and I, I thank you guys for the prayers that you guys have already put out. I get the texts and the emails like you guys are getting now for, um, you know, for what's going on weekly, and I've seen them on there, and I've seen um, the request to be able to pray. I know Mike was talking about it three weeks ago. I know Dustin was talking about it last week, um, about what's going on around the world. Um, so I thank you. I thank you for um, your faithfulness and, um, and continuing and moving forward. So things are definitely changing in our world, aren't they? Things are definitely changing. And in a sense, it's really kind of a wake-up call, as it should be, you know, what's going on. And I don't want to scare anybody, I'm not going to go full John Haller today or anything like that and start digging into Revelation or start going into, you know, Gog and Magog and going down. That's not our purpose here today. Our purpose here today is really just to be able to think about and pray for some of these missionaries that are in harm's way and to look in the fact that um, through the word and through the ecclesia, through the body, is where we really gain encouragement. Um, not only for ourselves, but for those people in the field. I thought it was interesting. Three weeks ago, Michael took us through Colossians 3, where he said, set your mind on things above. Right? He said, if, which could even mean since, you have been raised with Christ, set your mind on things above. And that was a great place to start. You know, just getting our hearts right, getting our minds right. It's like, this isn't everything that's about me, all my silly little things that bother me and, you know, that I think are important. Not that I need to set those completely aside, but I need to set my mind on things that are above, 
and then two weeks ago with Ed DeZago. So Ed with me, I, I couldn't take enough notes. You know, I had about three pages, and most of my notes are scribble, and I go back to them later on, I'm like, what was that? What did I mean by that? Yeah. But one that I definitely remember is he said, Abraham believed God. And he said that's very different than Abraham believed in God. I'm like, well, yeah, actually, because all sorts of people believe in God. You talk to people in your neighborhood. You talk to people, oh, yeah, we're Christian. We, go to, we believe in God. And that's great. I certainly not want to discount that. But to believe God takes that to a whole nother level. Just like when you believe God, you're looking at the scriptures, you're looking at his word, and you're thinking, oh, wait a minute. This is what he says. This is where I need to be thinking. This is what I'm going to do. So he believed in God. And then last week, um, keeping the ball rolling, even Dustin, I, was, I texted him and I said, um, so your off-the-cuff comment, off-the-cuff, he talked about um, with all these things happening in the world, that Jesus would be more concerned about our, concerned about our behavior over these events rather than being focused on the timeline. It's like, so all these things are happening. We can really dive in. What's, what does Revelation mean? What does Daniel mean? What does Thessalonians mean? What is, what's all of this mean? But Jesus is more concerned about our behavior. So I don't think it was any mistake that week after week after week we keep building um, on, this, on this narrative. So a couple of weeks ago, I was texting with Aiden, our son, and we were going back and forth, and we were watching the Ohio State game. And the announcer was talking about our star wide receiver, uh, Marvin Harrison, and he kept calling him Maserati Marvin. And so I was texting back and forth. I was like, really? <laughs> Maserati? Because he's sleek. He's got the hair. He's got the white. You know, he looks really sleek. He's really cool. And then Aiden texted me back, and he was like, so what about Honda McCord? I went, Honda McCord, sorry, Nate, Honda McCord. He was like, well, that's our quarterback, Kyle McCord. They're now calling him, if it's Maserati Marvin, they're calling him Honda McCord, the quarterback. So I'm like, you know, ha-ha, you know, you get all your emojis out there. You guys do that. You know, you throw those back out. Yeah, good one, Dad, whatever. And so I text him back. I was like, oh, I can do something with this. So I start texting him all of the Acts 2-1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were with Kyle McCord in one place. You know? <laughs> so you get the emoji, smiley face, tears, the whole thing. You know? And then I was like, oh, why stop there? Acts 1-14, these all continued, and I'll drop the joke, with one accord in prayer and supplication, with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And he was like, oh, ha-ha. So Acts 4.24, when they had heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. So I'm trying to make a transition here. And said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that was in them. And the point that I'm getting to here is even through that, even for this lesson, I didn't know where to go. I didn't know how to make these connections. And even in joking, and even in going through a text, I sat back and I was like, you know, I think I sent him, being a good dad, I probably sent him five or six texts all in one accord. Things I just, if I'm looking them up on Google, where are the other ones? You know, so he's getting them all. And then I looked at the, this collection of verses and I'm like, there it is. There it is. We're in all in one accord. You know, we're all, and we need to be. Set your mind on things above. So I sat there and I was like, um, 
and I, I found another interesting stat that there are 45,000 denominations in the world. I was like, 45, that can't be possible. And I don't know where these stats come from. But even if that's true, and there's 45,000 in the world, there's still only one Jesus. So before we sit there and say, oh, we'd all need to be in one accord, you could easily sit there and say, oh, so are you saying then that we have to start getting along with the Episcopalians? We have to start getting along with the Catholics? We have to start and find some common ground? I'm like, well, that, that would be nice on one level, but there's still only one Jesus. They really need to bring this the other way now. It's like these 45,000 need to come to Christ. We are all in one accord. One accord meaning in his body and his mind and his strengths, right? Um, so the phrase in one accord in the Old Testament typically referred to being in a uni being unanimous toward a particular action. Talked about things. It's like, oh, we're all in one accord because we're going to take this city. We're all in one accord because of we're going to go and do this action. But in the New Testament... Oh, I'm sorry, and that, that word actually stems from, and I think Michael has talked about this before, of being like of one shoulder. If you think of an oxen team and being that yoke, being across, being across their shoulders, being yoked together, working together, being shoulder to shoulder, that's what being in one accord is. And the New Testament in one accord is more of a oneness of heart and soul in the body of Christ with... Um, uh, primarily only being possible with the Holy Spirit's leading. Whole different account there. Even the psalmist says in 130, Psalm 133, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. I thought that was really good. So I don't know about you, but that's something that I definitely need. That's something that um, I think is just pertinent and just brings all sorts of encouragement. So again, when I come back and I'm thinking about people who might be in a bunker, um, I'm going to read a story here in a little bit about some Iran uh, people in the Gaza Strip who are in churches. And when you have to tell the Israeli, uh, what is it, the IMF, or when you have to tell them, these are churches, we have people protected here, please don't hit us. I'm like, that's an unsettling feeling. I'm like, but there are Christians still and missionaries still trying to witness to other people and serving them and being with them in these, in these situations. So I'm like, wow, all together in one accord. It's absolutely essential. Um, the Greek term translated in one accord helps us to understand, this came right out of my commentary, helps us understand the uniqueness of the Christian community. The image is almost musical. A number of notes are sounded, which, while different, harmonize in pitch and tone as the instruments of a great concert under the direction of a concert master. So the Holy Spirit blends together the lives and members of Christ's church. Jesus' own words to this very point. If you want to turn to John 17, 21 to 22. John 17, 21, 22. This is Jesus talking. That they, talking to the Father, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world 
may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. What a picture. That's, that's, a, that's a word scramble, and I have to really have to work through that. But what, what a picture. Jesus and the Lord, us and the Lord, and then us and him. Um, as such, the expression is sometimes rendered with one mind. Romans 15.6 says that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. So we're meant for this kind of fellowship. We're meant for this um, first to the Lord, but then to each other. You know how fun it is to meet believers in other countries? We have Alfredo. You're the closest we have to that. You know, <laughs> But how fun it is to be able to meet people and travel around, which I know that I have the opportunity to do. The first time I was really encountered this was back in Campus Crusade, back in college. We had this conference where, and this is where Addie will call me a boomer, this is the first time that they started making satellite link-ups and even though our conference was going on in Chicago, there were other conferences going on in the Netherlands. There was another conference going on in um, like Australia. There was another one going on in China. There was another one going on in Great Britain. And they were able to link them all on screens all up in the front. And they're like, we're, we're teaching the same thing that you're teaching. We're going through the same things that you're going through. And as a college student who's, you know, maybe a little naive, I was like, oh my goodness, that is the coolest thing. You know, we're singing the same songs, and we did that. While they're on the screen, and it's all live, they're singing the same songs that we're singing. I was like, oh, this is neat. This is really cool. Um, so that finally brings us to First Thessalonians, if you want to turn there. And why First Thessalonians? One, because Paul lays out in very specific terms how thankful he is to a church that he truly loves. And as you read this, I want you to think about these missionaries. I want you to think about these people who are doing the work of the Lord overseas. I want you to think about these people with Wycliffe. You know, if you were in this situation um, of being um, especially in harm's way, where would you find this encouragement? Not just from the body, but also through the word to be able to read these things. Let me get there myself. Let's go ahead and read verses uh, chapter 1, 1 through 10. Paul and Silvanus, Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ and the presence of God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, 
so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith towards God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So just a short background on this, and I didn't want to go through this. Actually, Michael taught all through First Thessalonians when we were in the old building. So that was several years ago, but he went through it. If you haven't subscribed to Podbean, this is our commercial. If you haven't subscribed to Podbean, I suggest that you do. It's a wonderful resource. Um, even when you go for walks around the block or whatever, just to be able to plug that and be able to walk down and go through some of these old lessons. It's, it's been truly encouraging. And so he's gone through all of this. Um, encourage you even to look at the, his talk on First Thessalonians, and he goes through a whole deep dive on the history and, and all these things here, which is was very good. Um, I, I did that myself these past couple of weeks. So in Acts chapter, um, this is Paul's second missionary journey. We go back to Acts chapter 16 and 17, and I'm just going to summarize because I don't want to take too much time with this. Paul was trying to go north and then to the east, and the Holy Spirit said uh, it forbade him did not want Paul to go to the north and to the east, but Paul had a vision to go to Macedonia. Macedonia, for our purposes, is the lower half of Greece. That helps. Um, but it was the first time the gospel would go into what we know as Europe. If Paul had not taken that short boat ride across, Christianity probably would have stayed in Asia and become like an Asian, another Asian religion. But no, God had him cross the channel. Now he's in Europe, what we call Europe now instead of being in Asia. The story begins in Philippi. Starts off going pretty well with the conversion of Lydia. Remember when we went through the book of Acts and we went through all of these stories? Uh, His encounter with a fortune-telling woman who he exercised a a dark spirit from. Um, The end result of that didn't go well, and Paul and Silas end up in prison. In prison, if you remember, they get their robes torn off, they're beaten, and they're thrown in prison. In prison, if you remember then, Paul and Silas begin singing hymns. Earthquake comes, and along um, all the shackles fall off. Because those shackles fell off, the Roman guard, who was supposed to be watching them, saw that all the prisoners were now free, and he decides to, um, the only thing that he can do is probably fall on his sword for his dereliction of duty. But Paul and Silas stop him. And they say, we're not going anywhere. And because of this, the guard asks, he said, what can I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's truly amazing to read these accounts, comprehend how Paul went through these cities, like Grant went through Richmond, just going through one after another. Have you ever entered into a city, or even have you ever been in like downtown Columbus? I know Dustin works down there. And have you ever come to your mind, you're like, if... If, God, if you were going to use us to save this city, to have a revival in this city, where would you even begin? I mean, there's a lot of people here. I mean, these are some pretty big buildings, and this is pretty astonishing. And how, where would I even, you know, you can go to a different city. We were fortunate to go to Rome. I'm like, where? this is huge. Where would you even begin? 
Turn with me to uh, Acts uh, chapter 17. So he kind of tells us kind of what the, uh, the diagram is here for, for how he made all these things happen. Acts 17. Now when they traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them. For three Sabbaths, reasoned them from the scriptures. So that was it. Paul had an inroad. He had a place. He always went. Every city that he went to, he had an inroad. He went to the synagogue first. It was like, but do you think that the people in the synagogue truly agreed with him? They were Jewish. And he stands up, and that was the custom. Be like, oh, we have a visiting pastor. You know, Paul, would you like to come up and you know, give a few words? Thank you for coming. It's good to have you. Can you you want to you share some things? Yes, some things I want to share. Jesus is Lord. Repent. Here comes the beatings. <laughs> Here comes the flogging, in short order, right? Um, Paul, verse 3, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, this Jesus who I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. He not only did this here, he did this in Berea, he did this in Athens, he did this in Corinth. It was the same model. He always had a synagogue. It was the first thing he always did, was going to the synagogue to get into the city. Verse 4, and some of them were, some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a large number of God-fearing Greeks, those were the Macedonians, and a number of the leading women. But the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And attacking the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. When they did not find them, they began uh, dragging Jason, that's the person they were staying with, and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These men have upset the world have come here also. Anybody use a, does anybody in here use a King James? No King Jimmy's in here? Got that. In the King James, it says they have turned the world upside down. I'm like, well, depending on your perspective, really turning the world right side up, right? Um, verse 7, and Jason had welcomed them. That's who they were staying with. And they all act contrary to the trees of Caesar, saying that, um, there is another king, Jesus. They stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things. And when they had received a pledge, which is basically bail, from, from Jason and the others, they released them. So in short order, Paul and Silas, after being released, they left. They went up to Berea, and they had great success up there. Until the people, the mob and Thessalonians, came to Berea, started the whole thing up again, and um, stirred up trouble. Silas and Timothy stayed in Berea while Paul then headed to Athens and gave his famous Mars Hill address. Um, Paul then heads to Corinth where Silas and Timothy then rejoined him. And it was at this point that Timothy gives him an account of what's going on back in Thessalonians. And it was such a good report. I can't, I would love to see, you know, be a fly on the wall. It was such a good report that this is where Paul then wrote this letter, what we read before to the Thessalonians. It was like, what you're doing is awesome. What you're doing is great. This is it. You've got it. So that was, that was, um, that was astonishing. Um, turn back to 1 Thessalonians. 
we'll just kind of pick through this, and then it's, it, it starts slow, and then it, it picks up pretty, pretty quickly after that. Paul and Sylvanus and Timothy. We know who Paul is. We know who Timothy is. But this uh, Sylvanus, or Silas, we don't have a lot of information about him. Um, but here's my point. The people that you go into battle with says a lot. The people that you are traveling with, the people that you are doing particular functions with says a lot. Every week, I go out, I don't know if you knew, I'm a, I'm a pilot. So I go out and I'm traveling, but you know, the most important thing is getting our passengers safely from point A to point B. If you were to nail down what I do is to get these people safely from here to there. That's what I do. So the people, the co-pilot that I have means a lot to me. And I know that's not going into battle and it might be a very vague representation. But we have to count on each other. And 90% of the time, what I do is Uber. It's like Uber with wings. We just go from Minneapolis and we take people to Orlando. From Orlando, we go to St. Louis. From St. Louis, we go to Chicago. It's just We just kind of bop around and that's what we do. The other 10% of the time, it can, get, it can get busy, especially if we go international, especially if there's weather, especially if there's turbulence. And before I start scaring anybody, it's all perfectly safe. But I know you've all looked out the windows, and you've all been in an airplane at some times. When you're coming down, you're looking out the window and be like, I don't see the ground. I heard the landing gear go down. I don't see the ground. It's like, well, you're looking straight down. From the forward, we get to look straight ahead. And those lead-in lights that come across I-270, you see them, huge help. When you see those as a pilot, you're like, we're good. That's all i got to see. You know, coming down to the runway. But the person that I'm with means everything because we have to be on the same page. We have call-outs, 100 feet, 50 feet, on the ball, everything across. It's got to be one, dink, bink, 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 bink. Our, our vernacular goes back and forth. Um, so the people that you go into battle with means everything. Have you ever seen some of these retired soldiers go on? I think they're called honor flights. Have you seen people or had some relatives that have gone on this? I think uh, Amy Pampern's dad went on one of these before he passed away. Um, he went on an honor flight. And some of these men are just in tears. You know, they get out there to the wall in Washington, D.C., and they're just be like, oh, my gosh, I remember him. I remember him. Oh, yeah, I remember we were, we were in this situation. And some of them are just in tears um, as they describe the men that they're served with. It's interesting here, and this is, this is what I do. This is total research. Uh, Sylvanus was the Roman god of the woods, hence the root word sylvan, which means woods, which is where we get um, Sylvania woods, which is, and you add to the front of that, William Penn, William Penn, Sylvania, is where we get the word Pennsylvania. So Sylvania um, was traveling, and we'll call him Silas from here on out. Could not, you could not ask for a better brother. You could not ask for a better, um, or for someone to come alongside you. But I just have to think about what Silas was thinking at the moment that they got thrown in prison. I can just imagine the two of them. They were stripped, they were beaten, thrown into prison. I'm just imagining, the text doesn't say this, but I'm imagining it was dark. I'm imagining it's cold. I'm imagining that they're hungry. 
I can imagine all sorts of things. I can imagine them up against the wall, and then I can imagine, and maybe this is just the way that my mind works, that Silas looks over at Paul and says, are you sure it was Macedonia? Are you sure that you got that right? Are you sure that you heard this vision correctly? It's like, there's a lot of M words in this whole European thing. There's, um, there's Monaco. Monaco is a great place. There's Morocco. That sounds good. Marseille. We went there this summer. That's where we went to Cassis. Remember that? Stunning. You're like, well, I could be a missionary there. I could do that, you know. Um, but no, Silas was in one accord with Paul. He was in tune. He was completely sold out. Acts 16.25, Silas is the one. They're singing hymns together in this prison, which we reviewed before, after being beaten. 1 Peter 5.2, Paul refers to him as a faithful brother. You could not choose a better compatriot to be able to go into battle with. So then it talks about the church. The word there is ecclesia. I know we've talked about this before. Um, but then it's interesting, if you look at that in verse 1 there, Paul goes on, he says, the church, he can't just say the church, he goes on and says, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm like, well, there's a title. That's good. So when the key there, though, is in ancient Greek, ecclesia was a political assembly of any kind. The summer when we were in Rome, Addy, I'm going to put you on the spot. Oh, no, I won't do that. We went, you go from the Colosseum. From the Colosseum, we walked over to the Roman Forum. Remember that? Do you remember what happens in the Roman Forum? What did they do there? Stuff. That's where they lived, and you're correct. But that's also where the Senate would come and meet in, like, the Senate building. And even from studies that I had in my communications classes in college, we learned very quickly that, yes, Romans were all about the sword. They were all about their glory. They were all about fighting and being that. But in the Greek civilizations, that it was more powerful to have the word, the spoken word. It was very powerful to be able to stand up in the Senate and be able to give your point of view and be able to say things and be able to change people's behaviors and change people's minds. That's power. So for them to be able to do that, that was, and that was called the Ecclesia. So the Old Testament gets translated into Greek. The Ecclesia became a particular body of faithful people. We're usually talking about Israel. In the New Testament, and meant that the church, if you would turn me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, look at this. This is what uh, the New Testament says about the church. First Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen, that's uh, the root word, ecclesia, chosen race, means you're chosen, you're preferred, you're select, you're favored. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. I love that part. A people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This goes so much further than just being a part of what we say a church in the U.S. When we say a church in the U.S., you're usually talking about a building, you're usually talking about something that could be attuned to being in a club, right? It's like, oh, I go to this church. Oh, I heard about that. I heard about, that. oh, boy, they've got a good soccer program. You know, they've got a good, you know, they've got great music there, which is all good stuff. We need those, you know. 
It's part of being a part of the community. I'm, I'm totally about that. But it's not the church. The church is a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. It's the people, a people for God's own possession. Uh, turn back to Thessalonians 1, jump down to verse 4. I'm going to kind of bounce around here a little bit. Verse 4, and it kind of mirrors this exactly. What does it say there? Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Finally, grace and peace. If we were to send a missionary out, if we had someone here, it would be very appropriate, wouldn't it, for them before we sent them out to bring them up here. We'd pray for them, and we've, we've done that. We've done that before. Um, grace and peace are probably two of the most important traits that we can ask for on their behalf, is it not? Um, grace, of course, being God's unmerited favor. Nothing that we can do, you know, can, can bring us. We cannot work our way to salvation, right? John 14, 27, talking about peace. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Directly out of my commentary, it says, A peace in your heart that arises from the security of pardoned sin and reconciliation with God um, himself through Christ. What better place can you be in? That's peace. I mean, I think of peace sometimes being on the beach. I think peace is going on a great hike. No, doesn't even compare. Doesn't even compare to knowing that my sins have been pardoned and having that reconciliation with God. Verse 2. I know, this is going to take a while. We might be here till 4. Yeah. Let me read this article here. Uh, Christians take cover in Gaza churches. Israeli bombardment continues. This is pretty short. Um, The past 10 days have been filled with horror for southern Israel and for the Gaza Strip. October 7th saw the deadliest single terrorist attack in Israelis 75 years in the hands of Hamas. The attack had been retaliated by Israel through nonstop Israeli bombardment and a complete blockade on the more than 2 million people in the Gaza Strip. Thousands of civilians have been killed in the war in international negotiations to allow critical humanitarian aid from the Gaza Strip through Egypt's uh, Rafah crossing has so far been unsuccessful. Gaza's small Christian community, which I had to think about that. There's a Christian community in Gaza, but very small. But they're there. And I, you know, you st- it takes a 10-minute search on Google. There's missionaries everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. It's, a, it's astounding. Um, Gaza's small Christian community have been sheltering in two different churches in Gaza City during this week's Israeli bombardment. Both churches lie within North Gaza, the area that Israeli military has ordered civilians to leave in preparation for an expected ground invasion. The IDF and Israeli Defense Forces have been made aware of the churches and Christians' presence in the area, and reportedly IDF leaders have told private sources that they will protect and ensure that the churches do not become targets of the war. I don't think I still want to be in the basement of that church. 
You know, these missiles are going everywhere and anywhere. So we definitely need to pray. God can protect them, you know. But God also has a plan. God knows what's going on. God has, um, and we know and we have full confidence that these things are under control. Verse 2, we give thanks to God always of you, making mention of you in our prayers. No better time than to make mention of them in our prayers. Um, I think what Paul is saying here is, I know what you're going through. I've been there. I've been through all these cities. I've been through, I've been flogged. I've been beaten. You know, this is, this is it. You know, this is, you, you know that you're in the right place. And truly warmed Paul's heart with these encouraging words when Timothy arrived and told him what the Thessalonian church was doing. Verse 3, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith. Three things here. Work of faith, one. Labor of love, I'm in verse 3. Two, and steadfastness of hope. Three, in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of God our Father. First of all, work of faith. Work of faith. That's easy to misconstrue that. Uh, Paul always teaches to the nth degree that salvation is based solely on faith and not by works alone, correct? We've gone over that over and over. And it's no different here. Um, And this is more akin to the good works that characterize the works of faith. Because I believe, because I'm following Christ, then I'm going to act differently. That's exactly what Dustin referred to last week. Um, John 6, 28 and 29, you don't have to turn there, but Jesus was talking to the people who met him in Capernaum. Jesus said, therefore, um, or the uh, verse 28 says, therefore they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Work the works of God like it's some company, you know, like it's some club. Well, what do I need to do to get in? It's like this tennis club. Well, you have to pay this, pay this amount of dues. You have to do this. You have to come to these functions. You have to spend $150 in our restaurant every month. You have to do these certain things, and you're good. You're in. You're fine. But that's not this here. Jesus had a very simple answer. He said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. That's it. You believe. You believe. This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Second point there is labor of love. And this one's more interesting. It's an interesting phrase that we can read over and over and over, like some minor act. Um, You can say, what's your labor of love? And you've even heard people say this. It's like, well, I volunteer at the churches on Wednesdays. That's my labor of love. Okay. Well, I help the lady down the street because she's elderly, and I kind of help her with some stuff. I just call it my labor of love. Not even close. Um. It's really in danger of being an example of a different phrase, which is um, something that's always kind of bothered me. Is one, someone that says, well, it's my cross that I have to bear. It's an idiom. It's a cross that I have to bear. It's like, I got this bum knee from football. It's like, well, but it's my cross that I have to bear. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> are you going to take your bum knee up uh, the Via Della Rosa and that's going to you know, you know, sacrifice you know, the sins for all mankind is your bum knee? Well, thank, thanks for... Thanks for putting that in. Thanks for doing that. But the word labor here is the word kopos. Did I get that right? I'm Hebrew, not Greek. The word here is kopos, means arduous. If I can talk to the moms in the group, tell me about labor. 
What are the adjectives that go with labor? Arduous, toil, wearing. The word here means sweat and fatigue. Is this starting to, yeah. All of a sudden, I've got about three or four people in the room just went, I got it. I got it. Been there. Um, but this is Walt, but what exactly what Paul is saying. When we think about the church in Thessalonica, we think sweat. We think fatigue. We think difficulty. We think toil for the cause of Jesus Christ. Um, that's why he was so encouraged. That's why when Timothy brought him the news that he was incredibly encouraged, that what you're doing is awesome, that what you're doing is correct. You know, let me encourage you with these words, the ones that we just read. And the last one here is the steadfastness of hope, that their hope is always in Jesus. Look down at verse uh, 6. What's it say there? Having received the word in much tribulation, you have a steadfastness. You're continuing in this steadfastness of hope. Jump back up, I'm sorry, to verse 4. Um, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. The NIV says that he has chosen you, or basically that this is your calling. Um, to sit there and say, knowing, brethren, all of us, beloved by God. I was like, well, thanks for setting out in the four spiritual laws, law one. God loves you and offers you a wonderful plan for your life, right? Verse four. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, God loves you. His choice of you, this is your calling. This is why you're here. This is what the ministry is. This is what the mission is all about. Verse 5, four, and then this is more from here on out. It's almost just reading it and just kind of, it just drips off of Paul's pen as an encouragement to these people and trying to relay this from our thoughts here to what's going on out in the world now. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be, um, to prove to be among you for your sake. When I sit there and I see in word only, do you know what in word only is? Still good. I'll take the Bible. I'll take the word only. But when I hear in word only, I'm like, well, is that kind of like the owner's manual in my car? I mean, I don't have a lot of passion and power when I sit there and read the owner's manual in my car. You know, well, thank God I got high beams. Thank God I got, you know, anti-lock brakes. It's like, well, that's good information. That's all really good. But there's no power. There's no conviction in that. So when the gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. The word full conviction. Conviction means when everyone else walks away, but you stick. I've always loved that. I've got that in my Bible written in here in a note. It was like someone said that. I don't know if it was a pastor back of grace or whatever it was, but I've always walked with that. Conviction is when everyone else walks away, but you stick. I think about these NBA players who are kneeling for the national anthem, you know, for the Black Lives Matter issues and stuff. They've got their T-shirts on, and they're all kneeling because they don't want to stand for the national anthem. And then you have that one guy who just stands there. And, and, of course, they put a spotlight on him, but that's fine. That's conviction. When everyone else walks away, but you stick. 
Verse 6, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord. And when you go through, if you have a chance to go through Michael's um, run-through of 1 Thessalonians, this is being imitators of Christ, being disciples, uh, is, is his whole mantra on this. And it's, it's very good. That you also became inter- imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. This is a hallmark verse in this chapter about a key aspect of Christian maturity and development. Um, I don't know if any of you knew Steve Rigoli. He was at uh, it was my mentor back at uh, Grace for several several years, and I always remember him telling me that as you go through life, it would be it's very important that you always be discipled by someone else. Always have someone in the church. Always have a pastor. Always have an older woman or you know um, another man, someone that you regard as. Um, having a strong faith to be able to sit there and be able to hash these things out, to be able to meet together and be able to do these things. But not only on one side is it important for you to have a relationship with someone and be discipled by someone, on the opposite side of that, it's also very important for you to be discipling someone else so that there's a stream that flows right through, that you're spending time with someone younger or someone not as mature in the Lord to be able to do those things. Um, so Paul is definitely praising them for doing something correctly here. They became imitators of Paul and of the Lord. And by doing so, it takes us right to verse 7. That you became an example of all the believers in Macedonia and of Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth for you from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. Verse 9, For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. Paul didn't have to do anything. It was already done for him. He already got this report. And that's exactly what he's saying here at the end of verse 8 here. I had no need to say anything because everything that you're doing has already spread out. Everyone has already seen it. Everyone has already seen those things that you're doing, those people that you're sharing with, those people, the effect that you're having on the world around you. I don't have to say a thing. This is all you. What you're doing is is fantastic. And then in verse 10, and wait for his son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Just forecasting that. So if I were to... um, I'll turn one more verse just in closing here. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. In closing, Paul says this, I therefore, the prison of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. There it is. Keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, 
who is above all and through all and all in you. And I'll say it one more time. There's 45,000 denominations in the world, but there's only one Jesus. Thanks. Appreciate it. Let's pray. Lord, we're just grateful again for this morning. We're just thankful for the time just to be able to dig into your word. Father, we just, um, if anything else, we're also thankful for the time that you've given Mike and Amy for their 25th anniversary to take a break, to be with one another, to be able to encourage each other's, uh, each other um, for their anniversary. Father, we're just, uh, we're grateful um, just for who you are and who you are in our lives. Father, help us to continue to encourage those in the field. And the field might be right here in Columbus. Father, I'm so thankful to hear the reports of people, even meeting people here in town, uh, meeting some of the new missionaries, talking about people that are in China, talking about people that are all over the world. Father, we definitely want to lift them up. Some of them are in harm's way. Father, that you are protecting them. Father, I think about those Christians who are um, in Gaza, in those bunkers, down in the, in the churches, in the basement. Father, I would pray that even through these uh, hard times, that one, of course, you protect them. But Father, that they come to know you and they come to know a living faith. Father, it was encouraging to hear about the Iranians and the growing church there, that you were working there, that you are constantly at work because they're so tired, so tired of the line that they've been given their whole lives that when presented with the gospel, it's just light coming from the darkness. Father, that they continue and turn that and be able to share with the people, the Afghanistans and the Chaldeans, other people in the area. Father, you work and are at work. Father, we want to be plugged in and tuned into exactly what's going on. And Father, just keep us humble and allow us to pray and to seek your face. We love you, Lord, and we just uh, ask for your presence in the rest of our time. Amen. Thanks. You stand.